Today on Locked On Canadians, we're going to recap that Vancouver Canucks game, talk about how this was the perfect tank, and we're going to talk about whether or not Archery Lekkinen should be traded, and who else was good in this otherwise largely abysmal game. Your Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 569. Nice. I forgot there was a pause for this. I'm out of practice this week already. That's a good sign. I've been missing well, two shows. This is the time we do this. <laughs> episode 569. Nice, 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 um, nice. Of Locked On Canadians. My name is Lorsab, also known as The Active Stick. And today, my co-host is back, joining me after being sidelined by COVID, insisting on working. We did kind of bully him into getting rest for a couple of games. So I want to thank, once again, Ian Boisvert and Dylan Waugh for sitting in for Scott. Check out their podcasts. Awesome. Check out those episodes that they guested on. Uh, you know, they did a really great job filling in for you, Scott. But I have to say, I'm happy to see you because it means that you are on your way to getting better. And uh, unfortunately, you have to stay up pretty late for Ahab's loss. But uh, what we're going to do today is because it's, it's a pajama party. You know, I've done my skincare and everything. I'm literally ready to like <laughs> jump into bed immediately as soon as we're done recording this episode and posting it. Um, we want to talk about some positive signs. I think we had, the Canadians had a long stretch of really bad games and really negative things and lots of players to harp on and all kinds of stuff. And we don't want to do that anymore. That game was not good. Let's just get that out of the way. The Canucks dominated in pretty much every metric. If you look at the underlying stats, if you look at the regular stats, whatever, if you looked at what they were doing on the ice, the Canucks dominated that game. The Canadians seemed to not be prepared for how good the Canucks were going to be. I personally feel like it was one of those things where they just underestimated the Canucks. And obviously with Bruce Boudreaux, they've, they've done a huge, huge, huge job at improving. But I do think that the Canadians... Um, they, they shot themselves in the foot, right? Like their special teams weren't good. They weren't defending adequately against Elias Pettersson. There were a lot of things about that game where the Canadians could have done better. They didn't seem prepared. I don't know, like people keep talking about the time zone, all of that stuff. But let's talk about something that I think personally uh, we can kind of focus on because it's been in the conversation since Martin St. Louis has been the coach of this team is, are the Canadians ruining the tank? No, they aren't, Scott. No, and like you said, this game wasn't was not great. Um, and we'll talk about who was actually at least halfway decent in this. But the game was it, it looked a little bit like a Dominique Ducharme game in that they weren't prepared for the pressure of the Canucks. Uh, Thomas Durant pointed out is that the Canucks forecheck had the Canadians absolutely baffled. And I think at the end of the Western swing here, guys are tired. Guys, you know, they're missing legs. They don't have a ton of extra bodies. I know they're getting guys back, but a lot of them are still uh, non-contact, not ready to play. And sometimes you just have a stinker. It happens. They've won seven out of their last nine games, and they're still in last and still playing enjoyable hockey. If out of every 10 games Martin St. Louis coaches, we get one like this, I, I, I really can't be too bothered by that, especially in a season like this. They're... They're putting together, I don't want to call it the perfect tank, but like the hockey's watchable. 
the young guys are playing well and playing a lot. You're getting depth help and your trade pieces are looking good and you're winning games and you're still in last. I, I don't see the real downside to it. Uh, yeah, winning's great. I would have liked to have done a clean sweep on the Western trip. Normally, Calgary's 50-50. They lay an egg in Edmonton, and then they, you know, come Dominate. Back. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> they didn't. But it's not the end of the world. It's They lost to a Canucks team who's fighting for a playoff spot and has a very good head coach that I was shocked was still available at this point. So it sucks that they lost, but at the same time, it is what it is. The last time they lost, and they lost an embarrassing game to the Jets, they bounced back quite well. So maybe we'll see that against the Kraken next. Right. And that's uh, on Saturday night, and I just want to do another self-plug. I'm going to be on Game Over Montreal after that game as well uh, with Andrew Berkshire. So uh, that that's going to be really, really fun. So that's Saturday. So the, the Canadians are also playing on Sunday. So it's going to be back-to-back on the weekend. We'll obviously be covering that. Uh, but in the meantime, there's a couple of other things that I want to talk about with when we're talking about the Canucks game overall. Uh, one, the, the mistakes that they made were identifiable mistakes. That was the thing. That was a game where you could look at things that they were doing and say, like, clearly on video, like, in hindsight, you can look at that and be like, okay, don't do that again. For example, there was this one point uh, where Jeff Petrie went for the rush. Instead, he got burned. He had a great game, and then he made one mistake that was glaring because I believe that ended up being the game-winning goal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, actually, no, that was the Ben Chirot, uh penalty goal. Uh, either way. So there were identifiable mistakes that the Canadians made that you can look back on and talk about and say, okay, they need to be better at this thing. They need to make the better choice in this position. There was an, a Ryan Paling one as well, uh, where he he uh, wasn't paying enough attention to his men and the Canadians got burned on that. So, it, you know, there's there are things that you can look at with this game and say, okay, okay, like these are aspects, these are concepts, to use the Martin St. Louis word, these are concepts that Canadians need to improve upon. One thing that I'm still concerned with is both of the special teams. I think that there's definitely a lot of room for improvement on that. But you also kind of have to look at the fact that the personnel might be completely different two weeks from now, right? Like the trade deadline is next Monday. So we talk about this and um, it like next Monday, it's about like 10 days from now. But in 10 days, the the Canadians can look completely different. So the personnel that you'll have for that power play or that penalty kill might be completely different. So I'm not super, super concerned about the fact that it's bad now. I'll be super, super concerned if they don't have ideas to improve by the end of the season. There's still like a good 20-something games left. You know, you want to see a positive trend in that direction because you are seeing positive trends in other aspects of the Canadians game. So there's a couple of things there where I do think it's a learning experience. So all in all, yes, Vancouver dominated. The Canadians were not good against Vancouver, but your mistakes are identifiable and you can improve on them. And it's, you know, it's a tank scenario. And and that's the thing, like no team has a perfect nine game record, like a perfect record in nine games. Or, I mean, you generally don't see like a nine game winning streak with perfect play, all of that, right? Like the, the probability is that you're going to lose some in every uh, nine or 10 game stretch. I'm not too worried. I do think that overall the Canadians are still trending in a positive direction, but I am a little bit concerned in somebody who's trending so positively that he might be playing his way off this team and onto another one. And we're going to talk about that in just 
one moment. But first, it's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. That's one of my favorite times of the year. I don't even pay attention to basketball until March Madness rolls around. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. All right, it's time to talk about Arturi Lekkinen, and it's going to hurt because it looks like he's playing so well that GMs will absolutely be calling about him. And I have to say... I, I wasn't take it or leave it on Arturi Lekkinen. I think Arturi Lekkinen is a unique and special kind of player. I'm, you know, he's not the kind of guy that you build your team around. I'm not about to sit here and say that. He's not the core. He's not the centerpiece. He's not the super, none of that. But he's the kind of player that's rare in the NHL. And he's playing really well right now. And even before you were hearing that GMs were calling Kent Hughes about him or inquiring about the value or inquiring about what it would take uh, to, to get Archery Lickett. And he's still an RFA, right? Like, that's another thing, is that, like, he's at a point right now where a team picking him up, he's about to enter his prime, and he's shown a lot so far. I personally don't want to see him traded because in my mind, it's always, where are you going to get another guy like this? That's another reason I don't want Josh Anderson traded, right? They're big guys. They're fast guys. They're guys who rush the net. They're guys who score goals. They're guys who are good on the team. They're guys who are favorites. They're guys with great hair. You've got all of that, but you don't have a lot of players like Josh Anderson. So I don't want to see him traded. And it's the same thing with Arturi Lekkinen. You don't have a lot of players like him. I don't want to see him traded, but if you're a team that is, sure that you're going to do a nice long playoff run that you're a contender you absolutely call about Arturi Lekkinen so Scott let me ask you this if you are the Montreal Canadiens one would you trade him and two how good does that return have to be if I'm trading Arturi Lekkinen it's a first and at least a I don't want to say elite prospect because I don't think there's a lot of teams willing to pay that but I look at, and this comes from something a friend of the show, Shana Goldman, wrote for The Athletic, is who is this year's Barkley Goudreau or Blake Coleman? And we look at the return that those guys got um, from Tampa Bay going to um, wherever the hell they came from. I can't remember where Blake Coleman was, and that's slipping my mind. But you have to get at least a first-round pick and a, you know, a higher-end prospect for that. And I look at the Canadians and go – Lekkinen's still young enough to be a piece of the foundation, not a main pillar. He's not a Suzuki or a Caulfield or a Romanov, but he's valuable in his flexibility and what he brings to this team. And he's still young enough that if they do this rebuild properly, he's still one of the veteran leaders on this team. And for that, I don't want to trade him. But if someone calls saying we have a first and we have, let's say, Vitaly Kratsov or a Philip Heedle or someone else that we might be willing to part with. If you're Kent Hughes or Jeff Gordon, you look at that and you go, okay, it's going to add a little bit of time to this rebuild, but these are valuable pieces. And I think a lot of it depends. Is it going to be tangible assets? Like these are the players you're getting right now, or is this going to be 
first round picks and, you know, the mystery box, as we like to call it. And I lean more towards wanting tangible assets. I know what these players are. I know what they're going to turn into and then picks on top of that. But I I don't want to trade him, but his value is literally never going to be higher than it is right now. He has, I believe, uh, six points in his last four games Uh, since February 1st. I believe he's or the end of February, whatever it was I saw um, from Hockey 360 is he's scoring on the same pace as uh, Mitch Marner, just below Austin Matthews, like Arturi Lekkanen is one of the hottest goal scorers in the NHL right now. And that's, that's wild to me. Um, His value is never going to be higher. So if someone calls and asks and says, we want him now, and this is how much we're getting a smart GM is going to take that. But I, it is personally selfish that I don't want him to go for my own reasons, but at the same time, looking at it purely through a business lens, there's a lot of smart business to be done uh, based around Arturi Lekkanen right now. I agree. And personally for me, like if I'm the Canadians, I'm not out there actively shopping him. I'm not saying he's available or anything. In fact, I'm saying he's not available. I'm saying, you know, pitch me higher prices pitch me more like you want to get into a bidding war. He's the kind of player that you want to get into a bidding war uh, over because like you said, it's like a Barclay Goudreau situation. It's a situation where you've got a team that knows that they can make noise. You know, it's not just like a team that's like poised to make the first round or like hope they'll get into the second round. It's a team that is assuming, you know, we're going to make it at least past the second, possibly third. We might even go to a final and we get into a final. Arturi Lekkanen can help as we saw in the previous season he's literally scored the um the big stanley cup final clinching goal he's that kind of player where if you've already got a team in place that is poised for greatness he just emphasizes that greatness he gives you that little push that little like i don't want to say shot in the arm but you know exactly what i mean that's a loaded term now but you know, he gives you that little bit of an edge that other teams don't have. So I do think that, you know, if if a team calls, then you just, you, you see how much they're willing to give you. And if you don't like it, don't get rid of him because you're not going to regret trading him for good assets and you're not going to regret trade and not trading him and keeping him on your team. The only thing you're going to regret is if you trade him for not enough. I think that's the only time the Canadians could possibly make a mistake. I think they like him. I do think that the more time has gone on, the less uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon have been willing to part with play with certain players, right? Um, and and so for me, I think personally, I don't want to trade him selfishly. But it's like you said, for a business decision, you could get a lot for him. You could get into a bidding war. You could like really jack up the price. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I do want to mention about him as well, before we go into our next segment where we talk about more positives about this game, is that throughout this season we haven't really praised him all that much, but. Even when the team was not good, Arturi Lekkinen was putting in an effort and acting like he cared. And a lot of players lost interest in hockey. They lost their motivation to be good uh, for lots of reasons, right? Like, and, and for lots of reasons that are potentially valid, right? Like maybe that short offseason really hurt them. You know, the lack of leadership in the room, maybe that hurt them. Maybe the coaching, they weren't happy with it. So that hurt them. You, you never know, right? Like, so I'm sure there's tangible reasons that a lot of players weren't doing well. 
But Artri Lekkinen was still determined to bring it. And that that's something that I just want to praise him for. Uh, but in the meantime, there's a lot of other players that we can praise from tonight as well as the last couple of games. And we're going to do that in just one moment because we want to end on a positive note. And so... Before we get into it, just want to remind everybody that tomorrow is our mailbag episode. So please send us your mailbag questions. You are free to send us mailbag questions on uh, email. You can email us at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. You can also uh, send them to us by, uh, by replying to us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can also leave questions in the YouTube comments. But if you're a jerk in the YouTube comments, we're just going to hide the comments and make you go away. <laughs> So uh, there's been there's been a few comments lately where it's like uh, we might turn the comments off. So just if you're going to leave a question, we're happy to discuss if you have topic ideas or guest ideas, please shoot them at us. But don't be a jerk because we don't respond well to that. All right, Scott, you know, who's not a jerk or I don't know. I actually don't know if he's not a jerk or not, but he's definitely been playing well is Brett Kulak. Yeah, so. I, I've said it so many times on this show and in other places when I've talked to people is that Brett Kulak feels like a name that's going to be a sneaky good pickup for somebody at the deadline. Somebody unexpected because I can't imagine the asking price for him is all that high. He's a, you know, a mid pairing to bottom pairing defender, but he's very good at what he does. And when he's at his best, you don't notice that he's on the ice. He just makes the smart, simple play, pucks away from the net, and it's going the other way, and that's where he thrives. He is the most – I don't want to call him invisible because that feels like it's a uh, it's a punching It's like a down. disservice, right? Yes, that's the word I was looking for. It's a disservice to what he is, but the style of defenseman that he is is that's a good thing. You don't notice him, and when you don't notice him, good things are happening. And someone's going to only have, give up like – a third or a fourth and like some guy trapped in the AHL or something. <laughs> and they're going to get Brett Kulak, who is a very good, very serviceable defenseman who has playoff experience. He's been um, a part of this Canadians team for a while now. And he's always kind of been the unheralded guy. I think he's going to draw a lot of attention, but we're not going to hear about it. Cause we're going to see the Josh Manson, the rumors about PK Subban maybe terminating his contract, like everything's going to overshadow Brett Kulak, which is just what his entire career has been in Montreal. And then someone's going to get him on a sneaky cheap deal in the last like hour of free agency and be happier for it. Honestly, I don't think the asking price is going to be high and any team in the analytics department is going to look at this and go, that's our guy. And I, I'm very curious to see, um, what team goes for that because I imagine there's a lot or at least all the smart teams anyways uh, should be looking into that immediately if he's available that is yeah and that's the thing is that like you know I, I, I've had this discussion with uh, quite a few people it's not as as big of a or a dire situation if they don't re-sign him, but a lot of people in this market do want him re-signed. They do appreciate what he brings to the table. And it's like you said, it's not going to be flashy. In fact, if and when Ben Sherratt gets traded, it's going to make a much bigger splash, right? It's going to be a huge deal. People are going to talk about him like the prize. But uh, Brett Kulak is truly one of those players that 
you need on any team. Any team needs somebody who is so sound defensively that you're not hearing any noise about him. And it's not always about blocking shots. It's not always about diving in front of the goalie. Very often, it's simply about being in the right position and being able to separate the opponent from the puck without really making a giant, you know, a giant spectacle of it. And there's there's room for all kinds of players on the ice. There's, there's players that will force you off the puck, and then there's players that will quietly take it from you. There's players that'll quietly uh, start the offensive rush as well. And he's one of those guys that, you know, uh, the Canadians can sometimes be a mess in the neutral zone, but he's always good in it. And that's something that, uh, you know, you can't discount that. And if you want to be a complete team, you need people like like Brett Kulak. Somebody else who was good, um, obviously, uh, was, uh, was Jake Evans. Uh, he had a really good game. Uh, he doesn't seem to have lost a step, even though he has been out with injury and we're concerned about his concussion status. Uh, but he had a really strong game tonight. I thought, uh, you know, he and Arturi Lekkinen really, really brought it. I also do think that Ryan Paling, even though he made a glaring mistake, the rest of the time he had good positioning on the ice. I don't know if I'm just imagining that, but like other than that mistake that literally led to a goal... Uh, his positioning on the ice is where you want it to be. I think overall playing smart hockey involves uh, involves a lot of the time being in the right place at the right time. And you saw that mistake that he made. It was because he didn't do that. And that was that's something that that, that Marty's going to talk to him about after. <laughs> my my other thought is too out of this game because I do agree with that. I thought Evans and Paling looked good. Ryan Paling is a lot like Kulak in that he does a lot of the little things and they don't always show up on the score sheet, which is unfortunate given his status as a first-round pick for the Canadians and obviously that four-goal debut game and this and that. His career trajectory is a very weird one, and I'm very interested to see what this offseason holds for him because I think there's another level for him, but he's not quite there yet, if that makes sense. But to go into this game here... Uh, I thought Samuel Montembeau was phenomenal. Yes. I know he gave up four goals, but <laughs> without him playing in net as well as he did, this could have been a blowout game. He was phenomenal. He's uh, And Dylan pointed this out, talking to him in the eyes on the prize slack, is that he's ve- he's been surprisingly athletic. And then since they've come back from the COVID break, I've noticed he's been better at tracking if he makes an initial save or has to do something along those lines. And it's paying off. He's been very good with his pads. He's been very good at putting pucks where he wants them to be. I still don't know what the future holds. Like the Canadians goaltending situation in the relatively near future is an absolute cluster because we don't really know who's going where or who's going to be where yet. So, uh, I know that they lost, and I also uh, think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Rem Pitlick again. Uh, he, we talk about how good Caulfield and Suzuki and Anderson and all these guys have looked. Rem Pitlick, since he's joined the Canadians, has only just put up points at a very astonishing pace. He's actually pretty decently in the in the mix in terms of Calder scoring uh, right now for rookies, which still weirds me out. But Rem Pitlick is the ideal, like, bottom six, you know, uh, utility tool. Like we talked about Arturi Lekin in that spot. If Lekin goes, then the replacement's there in Rem Pitlick, at least in the near future. And I I know that, you know, one of the other waiver wire pickups, uh, Kale Clegg, hasn't worked out as well, but Rem Pitlick's been phenomenal. His goal uh, off a great feed from Cole Caulfield was a good one tonight. Um, 
I'm all aboard keeping Rem Pitlick here uh, through this season and not just as a, we needed bodies and he was on waivers kind of thing here. I thought he was uh, at the very least effective in what he did again tonight, even if the natural stat trick charts say everyone was terrible, but <laughs> I it doesn't say everyone was terrible. It said overall as a team, you were terrible. I'm not going to look at it. I don't hate <laughs> don't. myself that much tonight, so no. I'm not going to do that. Absolutely do not. But yes, I was uh, mostly saving Montembeau for for the for last because we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how good he was. There are some really, really great highlight reel saves that he made that unfortunately, you know, it was one of those nights and, and he's had nights like this before this season where I look at the way that he played and then I think what a shame that he's not going to get the W for this game, right? So that was an unfortunate thing, but he did play really well. So he does deserve that praise. And and the fact is he seems to be finding his game more and more per day, right? And I think for me, the most encouraging thing was after that abysmal game he had against uh, Winnipeg, he just bounced back. He bounced back and he's still playing well, you know, and he's still he's still making smart decisions. So I really, really like that. Um, as for Rempitlik, he is if you're new to this podcast, um, you will not have heard this before. But Scott and I talk about this quite a bit. It's one of our our concepts about hockey that we care about a lot is that you there is such a thing as a high quality bottom six and a low quality bottom six and you know it's not just replacement players it used to be maybe in like 2004 or whatever that was the lockout year maybe in 2003 or whatever uh you could have a bottom six that was all replacement level players you know like your third line center and your fourth line center or whatever there were goons on those lines and things like that that's not like that in 2022 you can have a high quality bottom six and your high quality bottom six will separate you from the pack when you're trying to make the playoffs, when you're trying to like get in to the playoffs, when you're trying to win rounds, when you're trying to make it to the Stanley Cup. Having a high quality bottom six is so, so important in today's NHL. And I think that Rem Pitlick is the perfect like epitome of it, the embodiment of it. And I just want to shout out Anne from Locked On Predators because she has loved Rempitlick um, and seen his promise for such a long time. And he's doing really well. And, and I did notice that she she pointed it out earlier. Uh, I think it was today, today or yesterday. But uh, yeah, he's, he's putting up a lot of good numbers. But he's also, he seems to be a smart player. I think if you build a team with smart players, you, you won't go wrong. And speaking of smart players, please check out yesterday's episode with uh, with Dylan Waugh. He talked about what smart NHL play is. Um, and uh, it was a really fascinating conversation. And we can't wait to have Dylan Waugh back. Uh, and obviously, uh, Ian, Ian Boisvert, if you've listened to this podcast at all, he's quite the regular on our show now. Uh, so again, once again, thank you to them. And thank you to Scott for pulling himself together and dragging himself uh, to do this the, the podcast tonight. Uh, I know you were going a little bit crazy uh with COVID and no work to do so uh so I'm glad that you're feeling well enough to do this show um and I am very very happy to see you back uh it is it is nice to be back I, I wish we could have talked about a win at least coming back but you know what um it's better than laying horizontal on the couch for six hours a day because I can't do anything else so <laughs> what are you gonna do and so uh, we're going to thank everybody and remember to send us your mailbag questions without being a jerk in the YouTube comments. Um, and you can find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Our email is lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. You'll find Scott on Twitter at Scott Matla. You'll find me at The Active Stick. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast or on YouTube or both if you like us that much. Uh, and if you liked this podcast, please check out Locked On Fantasy Hockey uh, because they are 
absolutely awesome.